Um, good morning, everybody. Yeah, it's still morning. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Epiphany Church. Uh, my name is Pastor Derek Parks, and uh, I have the extreme privilege of serving as uh, the lead pastor here. And um, I'm excited to bring the Word of God to you guys this morning, and uh, just to share from uh, with you or from my heart about what God has been teaching me as I've been studying the Book of James. Um, so we. Um, are in this series called Devoted, right? If you didn't tell from our little reel there. Uh, <laughs> but this uh, series we've been in is all throughout the book of James. And so uh, we're taking our time verse by verse studying the book of James together with one another because um, I think James has a lot to teach us about what it means to be devoted. And so um, part of the reason for that is that James was known as a very, uh, was known as an extremely devout man. Um, he had a, de- a devout prayer life. So much so that uh, church history says that he was known as Old Camel Knees uh, because he spent so much time on his knees in prayer that his knees started to develop calluses on them. And so he was very devout (laughs) in in his prayers uh, and in his devotion to to, um, Jesus. And so we've been learning from him. Um, You guys been enjoying this series? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. All right. So. Uh, we'll stay in it for a little bit I, since you guys enjoy it. Uh, and especially since we got three more chapters to do. <laughs> um, so today I'm going to be in James chapter 2, um, verses 20 through 23. James chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. Um, and I want to tag this text as give credit where credit is due credit where credit is due. Hear these words of our father. It says, uh, senseless person. James is responding to what he said previously. He's not just like jumping in and calling you senseless. Uh, He's saying, senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Verse 21, he says, wasn't Abraham our father justified by works? In offering Isaac, his son, on the altar, you see that faith was active together with his works. And by works, faith was made complete. Somebody say complete. Verse 23 says, and the scripture was fulfilled that says, this is quoting Genesis 15, he says, Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. Heavenly Father, I pray today, God, as we jump into your word, Father, I pray, God, that you would um, continue to lead us and guide us, Father, as we uh, posture our hearts to receive from you today. Uh, And so, Lord, I just pray, God, that, that in that same spirit, Lord, that you would stand in my body. Uh, Think through my mind, speak through my mouth, God, um, that I might disappear up here, God, and that your glory might be revealed to your people today through your word. And so, Father, um, I got to pray these things, God, and I ask, God, um, that the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my strength and my redeemer and who I place all of my trust. And everyone said, Amen. 
my spiritual grandfather, um, who we laid to rest yesterday, and he was my pastor growing up, and um, he taught me all types of things. He taught me all types of stuff about being a man. He taught me all types of things about hard work and taught me all types of things about taking care of uh, your people and taking care of your stuff. And he taught me so many different lessons. Uh, but one of the things that he taught me, uh, he, he would say this all the time. He would say that there are two kinds of people. He said the first kind of people are those who do the work. The second kind of people are those who take the credit. And he told me to make sure that I was in the first group of people because there was less competition there. (laughs) And that's what we see in this passage today is that most people want the credit for their faith alone or for their works alone. But what we're going to see is that faith and works together give credit where credit is due. And so James starts out this, this portion of this passage here by calling out some people uh, who he was previously talking to who, who thought that they uh, could show their faith without any works. But James was telling them, listen, you show me faith without works and I'll show you my faith by my works. And then he points to them and he says, listen, you, you senseless folks, um, senseless person. Are you willing to learn, though, that faith without works is useless? This idea that he's pointing us to, he's he's calling us to see that there are some of us who boast about our faith as a transcendent possession, yet it lacks any fruit in our lives. We'll, we'll boast about our faith and we'll, we'll talk about our faith like, like it's just some transcendent reality that, that we've obtained. Like it's something that's just far out there that, 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 that's just a part of us or something like that. But James is telling us, he's saying to us, listen, he's saying, listen, if you have faith, it bears fruit. If you have faith, it will bear fruit. This idea here, this, this word for senseless, it suggests that when it comes to getting the credit, most of us come empty-handed. See, we want credit from God, but we don't show forth any effort for anything. We want to receive credit from God, but we always show up to him empty-handed and without a gift. That's what this word it, it suggests. It suggests that we show up without a gift. My uh, one of my professors, my Bible professors in, um, in in school, he he would say when it was time to turn in our papers, he would say, "Bring me my presents." And I thought that was weird at the time, but I understand it now. Is is that meaning? Is that he's like, listen, I've spent the past several weeks depositing knowledge into you, and he expected to see a return in the form of a well-written paper. And that's what faith and works is about. God is saying, listen, I've deposited much on the inside of you towards faith, and he expects for it to be returned in the form of well-performed works. 
parenthetically, I want to submit to you is this, is that your works must be well performed. <laughs> See, it's what, when it talks about good works, it talks about the idea of something being beautiful. It talks about the idea of, of, of something being pleasant. It, it talks about the idea of, of something being finely crafted, right? But, but what, we ha- what we see, and that's why we say here, is that we're called to pursue excellence. Now, the, the reason for that is not because Derek came up with that idea. That's not the reason for that. We look to the scriptures to get answers for us on how we ought to conduct ourselves in life. And when I look at, Matt, uh, when I look at Mark chapter 7, verse 37, it tells me, as referring to Jesus, it says that they were extremely astonished by him. And they said this. They said, he has done everything well. So there's this reality in our lives that calls for us and that calls us forth to do things, not just to do them, but to do things with excellence. See, he tells us, he says, listen, and we learn this when you go through growth track. We talk about how you develop your gifts and stuff like that. We talk about pursuing excellence as doing things well. You can't just show up, right, and just throw stuff together. Not for Jesus. Like you got to, when you do something for Jesus, you got to do it excellently. And it tells us to do all things and to work as unto the Lord. Isn't that right? And so it tells, we talk about doing things well. We even talks about doing things before you're even asked. See, part of growing and part of developing uh, uh, as a follower of Jesus is learning how to not need to be asked to do something on behalf of Jesus. When you see a need, you meet the need. And then last, the last thing we talk about in, in growth track is doing more than what is doing more than is expected. See, some of us, we show up, <laughs> we show up to our job and we just do what we call to do. Like, that's it. I only get paid to do this. Like, and that's all. Like, I ain't got nothing else for you. <laughs> and we translate that over into our relationship with Jesus and his church. And we show up and we say, well, I did my hours for the week and that's all I got. But we're called to do more than expected. See, sometimes doing good things looks like you looks like doing what you already do, but with a level of excellence. See, sometimes the good works that you're called to do is just doing your job well. Where's Tasha? Tasha, I saw Tasha do. Uh, she put a post up yesterday. She reposted something uh, about about bags, right? And it, they're like Walmart bags, Target bags, and then there's Birkin bags, stuff like that. And it talks about you have to decide about what you want, which, what type of bag you want to be, right? Um, and so the, the next post of the repost was that, just to be clear, I want to be a Birkin bag. <laughs> That's the type of bag I want to be, right? And so when it comes to how we do works for Jesus, we ought to have Birkin bag works. See, our works can't just be Walmart bags, right? It, it, it can't just be corner store. And shout out to you, you got Walmart bag, whatever. But I'm just saying, like, you got to know what kind of bag you are. <laughs> and, and when it comes to doing things well, some of us, we're out here. And the reason why I'm saying that is because some of us spend so much time trying to figure out what kind of good work am I going to do? Like, like Jesus, I want you to call me to something great, Jesus. I want you to call me to something spectacular. When sometimes Jesus just saying, do your job and do it well. 
Sometimes we're out here looking for this grand calling when Jesus says, why don't you just be intentional about, about raising your kids in the fear of the Lord? Sometimes we're looking for this grand purpose and we're looking for this grand thing that we're supposed to be doing when Jesus is saying, listen, if you're a custodian, be the best custodian that you can be. Sweep them floors. Like you got a Birkin broom or something like just. I didn't know if I was going to kill the analogy, but it worked. <laughs> and I'm not trying to kill myself on on this rug here, so. <laughs> forgive me but this word suggests here this idea here he's talking about um when he's when he's pointing out to us and saying listen you senseless people he, this this word has it, it suggests to us that some of our acts some of our good works can be fruitless and without effect see we we can't just want credit for having done it See, so many of us are like that. Like, we're just doing it to get it done. You know what I'm talking about. You do the bare minimum. You, you get on your phone and, and you, the Bible app opens up and you read the one verse from the Bible app and you just poof, check it off. See, I read my Bible today. I spent time with Jesus. Ouch. <laughs> well, the reality is, <laughs> the reality is, is, is that we spend more time with Facebook than we do with our face in the book. <sighs> we spend more time on IG than we spend with the IG. The immutable God, the infinite God, the incomparable God. See, we spend more time on IG and all that stuff than we do with God. I want to help somebody today. Listen, what we do is, is that we do just enough. We do the bare minimum. But the challenge of senseless, empty, vain desire for credit, because we just want the credit, <laughs> if we're honest, we just want the credit. Jesus, give me, give me my points, Jesus. Like, <laughs> give me my points. I read a verse today, Jesus, give me my points. I prayed while I was running down the steps to get in the car. Jesus was like, give me my points. We want the credit but we don't want the work. See, the challenge of senseless, empty, and vain desire for credit is that it forfeits our willingness to learn. So James starts out, he's, he's like, listen, senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? See, the senseless person that James is referring to was the person whose works had no purpose. The, the senseless person that James is referring to is the person whose faith was only for themselves. 
And see, that's what we do most of the times is that, is that, is that we expect our faith to just be for us. So we go around and see, I got faith to move mountains. But those mountains don't move anything out of the way for anybody else. They move mountains out of your way. But when we, when we get to see this, is he, he's calling us, he's saying, listen, are, if you're willing to learn that faith without works is dead, then, then I can help you. See, he, he's talking about the person whose works had no purpose. But, but, but James is, 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 is teaching that we must be purposeful about learning about faith. And I want to help you today. He, he, he's telling us that we must be determined to learn that faith without works is useless. We must be resolved in learning that. We must, we, we must actually desire to learn that faith without works is useless. And see, what, what happens is, is this. Here's what happens. This idea of learning, he's talking about, he's talking about learning to know or coming to know something. Or, 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 or more than that, he's talking about recognizing something. And so what we have to recognize, family, is, is this, is that we have to recognize is that faith and works go together. It's like sugar and grits. They go together. At me, at me. Listen, sugar and grits grow together. Here's how I'm going to help you. Listen, sometimes, listen, the thing, <laughs> that's something that you come to know. You, you come to know that sugar and grits go together. You come to learn that sugar and grits go together. It's something that you get a knowledge of is that sugar and grits go together. Here's all I know. Most of y'all who talk about sugar don't go with grits. Y'all never even tried it. You never even tried it. No, no, we going, we going today. Listen, listen, you have to perceive it. That sugar and grits go together. You have to feel it. In your, in your spirit, you got to feel it. <laughs> but listen to this. James is teaching us that you can only learn that faith and words go together if you're willing to learn it. Just like with sugar and grits, <laughs> most of y'all ain't willing to learn, but most of you, <laughs> most of you don't like works with your faith because you've never even tried it. You expect to get faith credit without doing any faith work. Now, faith, we've talked about it. We talked about it last week. We talked about it the week before and the week before that. Faith is not just mere intellectual assent. That means that faith is not just you knowing something. <laughs> I know God. What about you? Like, <laughs> That's not just what it's talking about, right? It's not simply an emotional response either. We talked about that last week when we talked about the demonic faith, right? See, there's, there's dead faith, there's demonic faith, right? We talked about it last week. Sometimes our faith is just interconnected with our emotions. But even the demons believe and they shudder, right? We talked about that last week. So having an emotional response to your knowledge of God is not faith. Faith actually involves willful obedience 
to Jesus. Your faith with your works gives credit where credit is due. Last week, we talked about this. He says, listen, we love to separate our faith from our works because we don't like accountability. That's what we talked about last week. But this week, I want to talk to us about this, is that we love to separate faith from our works because we don't like labor. And there's no way around it. This idea of works, it says that whatever you do for God, whatever you do for him is going to require you to toil, is going to require you to labor. See, most of us want to have a testimony of having done something for God without actually having done any hard work to do something for God. We got quiet in here. Listen. James is saying to us that we don't like faith with our work with our works because we're lazy. That's what this word useless means. I didn't listen. I'm not calling you lazy. This word useless here, it means lazy. So James is saying is that we don't like faith with our works because we're lazy. I'm in your living room right now. Listen, he says, we love to be free from labor. We don't want to work hard for Jesus. We don't want to exhaust ourselves and and toil for Jesus. We We don't really want that. We just want to receive the labor and toil that he did for us on the cross and to secure our position in him. But practically is that he calls us into good works. He calls us into works with our faith. That means he's calling us to toil and to labor. But we love to be free from labor. We love to be idle. That's what this word also means. It talks about being idle. We love to be idle. Don't believe me? Check your screen time numbers. I'm in your business. Listen, you, <laughs> we've checked your screen time. See how many hours you spent this past week. It tells you on Sunday, so you can know. On Sunday, <laughs> it sends you the report. Check how many time, how much, how many hours you spent on your phone. We love our lives to be slow paced. That's what we love. We love our lives to have a slow pace. Count the hours you watch Netflix. We love to have our feet up with a remote in our hand and a big bag of snacks just reaching into it. But I want to help somebody today because here's what this reality is. And y'all so quiet. (laughs) Here's what this reality is, is, is that this word for useless suggests that laziness produces barrenness. Proverbs 13 and 4 says, lazy people want much, but get little. But those who work hard will prosper. 
And sometimes we spend our lives and our time wondering why the thing that we're working on or the thing that we're doing in our life is not prospering, but we haven't taken an honest assessment about how hard we actually work to make the thing happen. And I'm not preaching some work-based theology here where you you do a whole bunch of stuff because James isn't preaching that. (laughs) Regardless of what some of his critics might say, he's not talking about that. But what he is talking about is that when we do an honest assessment of our lives, there are some things that we want, but we don't put in the work to actually see it come to pass. But it gets worse than that. Because Proverbs 18 and 9 says this. It says that a lazy person is as bad as someone who destroys things. And if I'm honest, and if you are honest, some of the things in my life that I've destroyed have been a direct result of my laziness. Some of the relational difficulties that I've had in my life and some of the things that I've destroyed have been because of my laziness. I'm not willing to have, and laziness isn't just about laying on the couch. That's not what it's about. I want to help you. That's not what this is about. Laziness sometimes is having an unwillingness to do the thing that you know that you should. Sometimes we won't address the things that we know we need to address in our relationships and we're lazy about it and it destroys our relationships. And then here's where it gets crazy, right? These proverbs, one one of the things that my, um, my, my pastor would say, he says, is that it's a lot you can get away with if it wasn't for the book of Proverbs. <laughs> He's the person who started me reading a proverb a day. He's like, it's a whole lot you can get away with if it's not for that daggone book of Proverbs. 31 chapters, 31 days in the month, read a chapter a month. Watch your perspective start to change about stuff. But here's this one in Proverbs 26 and 16. He says this, he says, lazy people (laughs) consider themselves smarter than seven wise counselors. Ain't it always the people who ain't ever done nothing (laughs) that want to tell to try to tell you how to do everything. (laughs) They ain't never done what you've done. They've they've never put forth any type of thing in in the field that you've done it, but yet they've got a critique for you about how you ought to do it. They've got input for you about what you should be doing. <laughs> but see, it's the, the, the problem, and here's that, that's the problem, though, with, with the social media age that we live in, is that we've got a bunch of experts with no expertise. I'm coming for you. <laughs> we got a bunch of experts with no expertise. You want to get on your Facebook page and teach people about marriage, and you've been married married for two minutes. I'm telling you. You want to get up on social media and talk to about talk to people about how (laughs) 
they're supposed to live their lives in a godly fashion. <laughs> and you ain't been to church in a month of Sundays. We stand up and we do stuff like God. It's a calling on my life and all this stuff like that. But you curse somebody out the night before because <laughs> you ain't got no patience. Because you ain't never had to endure through nothing. James taught us that early on. That trials produce patience in us. And so we've got so many experts with no expertise. So many people who, 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 who want to instruct and teach, but they, they, they've never been through nothing. They've never had to endure anything. And, and, and here's what James teaches us, right, how to avoid this. In, 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 in verse 21, he says this. He says, wasn't Abraham our father justified by works and that he didn't just talk about his faith but when it came down for his faith to be put in action he was willing to do what was necessary to prove that he loved God like he said he did he says wasn't Abraham our father this is verse 21 wasn't Abraham our father justified by works listen to this in offering Isaac his son on the altar This idea of justified is, is, is a beautiful word. It talks about rendering something, uh, rendering someone righteous or declaring or pronouncing someone's innocence, right? Uh, and as it relates to our relationship with, with God, uh, all of us need to be uh, declared innocent before him because we, we're all sinners. We're, born, we're all born in sin and shaped in iniquity because of uh, our father, Adam, uh, because he sinned. We all have, have sin in our lives. We're all born into sin. Uh, but because of the second Adam named Jesus, he came and he gave up his life, the perfect life that he lived and died in our place so that we might have fellowship with God again and we need that and the reason that we need that is that we have to be justified in order to stand before the Lord but Abraham was rendered righteous by his works in offering Isaac as a sacrifice you remember the story, Do you, you, you may or may not remember the story in Genesis 22, where, where, where God tells him to go and take the boy and go to the mountain and to make a sacrifice. And as they're climbing up the mountain, uh, Abraham looks around and he's like, you know, we, we got to sacrifice, make this sacrifice, but he wanted him to sacrifice his son. And so the boy gets up there, he says, Father, I see the wood. <laughs> <laughs> and I see the altar. <laughs> Where's the sacrifice? <laughs> and he had to tell his son, his son who he loved, that God would provide. And so he gets there, and as the story goes, he lays his son on the altar. And he raises his knife to go and sacrifice his only son. The son he prayed for, the son he asked God for, called him to sacrifice him. And as he raised his hand to go and sacrifice him, Genesis 22 and 12 happens. God, angel says, don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't hurt him in any way. For now I know that you truly fear God 
because you have not withheld from him even your son, your only son. Now, the conversation about faith without works is about what you are withholding from God. What is the thing that you are withholding from God? Are you withholding your time from God? Are you always too busy to spend time with him? Are you always too busy to serve his bride? Are you always too busy are you withholding your time from him? Are you withholding your talent from him? Are, are you withholding your treasure from him? Some of us like to say, well, you know, I don't, you know, I withhold my treasure because I give so much of my time and my talent. <laughs> no, that ain't how it works. Because when we do that, what we say is, we say that there, is some, there are some things in our lives that are off limits for God. Is, your, is it your relationship status that's off limits to God? Do you view your singleness as a problem? Do you tell God, I'm going to work out this singleness thing? Don't you worry about it. Because obviously you don't know what you're doing because I'm still single, Jesus. <laughs> so we do. <laughs> Jesus is all sovereign. He's all knowing. He's all powerful, except for when it comes to your relationship status. Sometimes, somehow he's unaware that you're single. <laughs> I don't know how that happens. He knows everything. But the fact that you're single, you don't know it. Do you not view your singleness as a gift from God? Because now you got more time. <laughs> now you can. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> now you, you got more time. You got more talent that you can express. And you got more treasure because you're not spending your money on other people. Is your sex life off limits to Jesus? Ooh, 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 listen, is your sex life off limits to Jesus? Jesus, I got needs. I got an itch. I need to scratch that thing, Jesus. You don't, you don't understand. And we place our sex life off over here as if Jesus doesn't have rule and authority over your sex life. As if he is not the one who gave you your desires. He knows what you need. But you've got to submit yourself to him and say, Jesus, listen, nothing's off limits. My sex life is not off limits. We could talk about that, Jesus. And I'll submit that to you. I'll, I'll place that on the altar, Jesus. My money is not off limits to you, Jesus. My relationship status is not off limits. 
Even my children aren't off limits to you, God. Because that's what some of us do when it comes to our children. (laughs) God is the greatest provider, the greatest protector, except for when it comes to our kids. Jesus obviously don't know what he's doing because if he did, then my son would be following him. He, he obviously doesn't know what he's doing because if he did, then my daughter would, would, would be in submission to him. We, we, we pretend and we live our lives in such a way that he's somehow not our protector and our provider of all things. We got to protect our children. We have to do all these things for our kids. We've got to do the provision when the reality is that he is the one who is protecting and providing for them. And so we construct our lives in such a way that we tell Jesus, listen, you can have my time, my talent, and my treasure, except for when it comes to me needing to do things for these kids. Are your children off limits? (laughs) But here's what we're learning in this passage is this. Is that a devoted person has learned how to put even their children on the altar before God. And, and what I'm talking about is I'm not just talking about like your physical children. Some of us have birthed, birthed some things. We've birthed some businesses. we birthed some nonprofits, some institutions. We, 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 we've birthed our degrees because <laughs> we wrote them papers. <laughs> like we've birthed some things that we're unwilling to put on the altar for God. Are you willing to obey God when your baby is on the line? And see, most of our obedience today, I want to help you. Most of our obedience today is aligned with things that benefit us. Most of our obedience today is aligned with things that we desire. I I, I rarely hear this generation speaking about obeying God in ways that involve, uh, in, in ways that would cause them to have irreparable damage done to their lives. Imagine the irreparable damage that would have been done to Abram, Abraham if he had have actually had to go through and sacrifice his son. He would have never been able to think the same. He would have been scarred. But sometimes... God is calling us to obey him towards good works in sometimes ways that cause us to listen to this, to die to ourselves. But in this generation, it's, it's always stuff that benefits us. I'm, I'm obeying God, um, to, to, to start my own platform because I, I got a calling on my life. That that benefits you. 
I, I'm going to obey God by, by leaving this job to, to start this business because, you know, I've been building on social media for so long and, and I've started to gain a following. That, that benefits you. But most of the obedience in the Hebrew scriptures pointed to people putting their lives in danger in order to follow God's commands. But what happens when God calls you to be obedient by killing the thing that you prayed for and waited for for 25 years? Abram received the promise of Isaac, and it didn't come to pass for 25 years. And then it's birthed, and God calls him to sacrifice the thing that he loved. What do you do when God calls you to sacrifice the thing you love the most to be obedient to him. That's why James tells us in verse 22, he goes on, he says, he says, listen to this. I need you to see this. I need you to see. He says, you see that faith was active together with his works. That's why Abraham was able to raise up the knife to prepare to sacrifice his only son. Because he said, listen, I know that you won't withhold anything from me, not even your only son. In order for you to do that, your faith has to be active together with your works. This idea, he's calling them, he says, listen, I need you all to see, James saying, I need you to see that his faith was active. He's saying, he said, I need you to discover this. I need you to not only that, he says, I need you to know this by experience and have the power of understanding to know that his faith was active with his works in order for that to happen. This idea of, of faith and works being active together, and I'm closing, it, it, it talks about the, the, that, that word there, active together, it's the, the Greek word, it's the Greek word, the word where we get the idea of synergy from. It means it's working together, it's helping, it's partnering together. To, to, it's, it's, it's working together to put forth power. Romans 8.28 tells us, this, it, says, it says that we know that all things, this is because it's the same word used here, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. But a, 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 a closer rendering of that would read like this, is that we know that God works together in all things. This, this synergy that's present in faith and works, it's, it's, it's synergistic, it's, it's, it's this idea of, of an interaction or, or a cooperation between two things uh, that are working together to produce a combined effect that is greater than the sum of those separate effects. And so all that means is this, is that when your faith and your works get together, that's where your power is. If you want to walk in power with God, let your faith and your works be aligned. 
and, and he's telling, he says, listen, when you're, you got to know that his faith and his works were active together. And by works, listen to this, his faith was made complete. So the reality around that is this, is that James is teaching us is that some of us have an incomplete faith because there's no synergy between our faith and our works. Your faith finds its fulfillment by its works. And it talks about whether or not you're willing to believe God. See, you you can work. You can have works attached to your faith when you actually believe the things that God has said. See, the reason why some of us don't do it is because we don't actually believe what God has said. We don't believe it. We don't trust it. We don't think it to be true. We haven't placed any confidence in it. But Genesis 15 to 6, it says that Abram believed the Lord and it was credited to him as righteousness. Actively working faith gives credit to your belief. When your faith is working together with your works, when your faith is actively working, James tells us this, that you develop a name in heaven. Here's that name. It says that Abram believed and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. Are you a friend of God? Are you a friend of God? Jesus says in John 15, 14, he says, you are all my friends if you do what I command you. So the impetus of becoming a friend of Jesus is being obedient to his commands. And this idea here of friend is one who associates familiarly with another. Meaning that you have often encountered and experienced Jesus. And so as we're navigating throughout this series on Devoted, what all I'm doing is calling you to encounter Jesus often. All I'm doing is calling you to experience Jesus often. Experience him regularly. Have an encounter with him regularly. That's what it means to be devoted. But when that happens, the credit that you long for, <laughs> because be honest, we all long to be, we all long for it. We all want to be recognized. We all want to be noticed. But the credit that you're looking for is found. When your faith gets connected with your works. 
Here's my little points at the end. Is that the, vote, the devoted credit faith to God. They know where the source of their faith comes from. See, they, they don't just have faith in faith. <laughs> they have faith in God. And they know that that faith comes from God. It's a gift from God. Next, the devoted credit works to their faith, meaning is that they, they understand that if their faith is going to be validated, then they're going to have to do some work. And then lastly, they credit faith to righteousness. Just like Abram, it was credited to him as righteousness. And God is calling us to a faith. He's calling us to a faith in him that leads to righteousness. Not just a faith that seals you off from the penalty of sin. But a faith that calls you towards righteousness. Loving others like you're supposed to. Living in relationship with others like you're supposed to. And so family, we're called to live devoted so that we can give credit where credit is due. And all the credit... <laughs> All the glory, all the honor, all the praise belongs to our Savior. Father, we thank you. God, I pray by your Spirit God, lead us today in the understanding of your grace for us in a real and tangible way that we might understand that the righteousness that we need to stand before a holy and righteous God comes from the righteousness of Christ being imputed onto us, being placed onto us, declaring us righteous. Meaning that nothing that we do can make us righteous but the things that we do are proof of the righteousness that's within us. So, Father, help us today. Help us to learn how to give credit where credit is due. Help us to learn how to live lives that are devoted to you. God, I pray that if anyone under the sound of my voice today does not know you, that they might surrender their lives to you, that they might submit themselves to you. God, I pray, God, that anyone under the sound of my voice who is in need of you, who, who is in need of your word, God, I pray, God, that they might come to know you, God, in the, in the fullness of your suffering and the fellowship, God, that we have with you. I pray that right now. God, and I pray that every heart in here today that has heard this word go forward, God, that they would respond and know that you've called us to be devoted. You've called us to live lives devoted to you. You've called us to place some things on the altar, God. You've called us to sacrifice in ways that are uncomfortable to us. So God, teach us today, oh God. Help us to learn from you so that we can grow and live more devoted lives. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.
Pastor. Thank you so much for choosing to worship with us this morning. We are so excited and so thankful. If you have chosen to follow Jesus, you've just made the best decision of your life, and we are so excited, and all of heaven is rejoicing with us. Click the link at the bottom of the screen, and someone from Epiphany Church will follow up with you as soon as possible. If you have chosen to become a member of Epiphany Church Wilmington today, welcome, and we cannot wait to meet you. Click the link at the bottom of the screen, and someone will contact you as soon as possible. Also, if you could give, and there are several ways to give, you could click the link at the bottom of the screen, you could text, you could download the app, but we need you to give. Uh, without your giving, we would not be able to do any of the things that we do as a church in the community. Once again, thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. Like, comment, subscribe, and share, and tell a friend to tell a friend about what God is doing here at Epiphany Church Wilmington, where we believe in being on the block, in the middle of it, for Jesus Christ. God bless you all, and you have all have a wonderful week.